This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. We've got a lot of questions about the Old Testament, specifically in how it relates to the New Testament. Like, what does it mean that Jesus destroyed the temple? Wasn't the temple pretty important? What's the deal with the sacrifices that went on there? How should we think about people like Moses and Abraham? Why don't we pay attention to the Old Testament law? What does it mean that Jesus is a prophet, a priest, and a king? What the heck is a tabernacle? Can somebody tell me what propitiation is? Is any of this relevant to my life at all? We got a lot of questions, and there's one place where we can find every one of those answers. Welcome to Christianese. I'm your host, Drew Fitzgerald, and today, the book of Hebrews. Each one of the books of the New Testament has its own flavor, its own character. They're like different genres of music. The Gospels and Acts are like folk music. They tell the original stories and are the foundation for all the other genres. Then there's Romans, which is kind of like classical music, like Bach. It's big, foundational for the very structure of our theology. Easy to enjoy, but also complex and rich. Revelation is... Well, it's obviously metal. It's intense, and a lot of the time I don't know what's going on or what they're talking about. Hebrews is like jazz. The thing with jazz is there's parts of it that we all can get into. I mean, one of the subgenres of jazz is easy listening. But then there's parts of jazz that are really intellectual. It's music made for musicians. It's for people who know the musical language. They know music theory. And so when they come to something that's too much jazz for the rest of us, they get really interested in lock in. For example, we can all enjoy this. But this? That's too much jazz for most of us. There are parts of Hebrews that we can all get into. For example, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Yeah, I like that. But when you start talking about Melchizedek, when you get into the nuts and bolts of the design of the earthly tabernacle and how it reflects the heavenly sanctuary, too much jazz. When we don't immediately understand the references or can't glean some simple spiritual tip from scripture, we tend to back away from it, which is an incredible shame because this book helps us understand some of our most persistent questions about the Old Testament. We just need to get over the fact that sometimes it's going to take more effort to read some books than others. And that effort is not because it's not beneficial, but because we are not the primary audience 
for this letter. Aww. No, sadly, it was not written to Western Protestants. It was written to, gosh, if only there was a good way to know who this book was written to. Like, maybe if it was in the title. Oh, right, Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians, people who were being persecuted for their beliefs and pressured into going back to their Hebrew way of life. The point of Hebrews was not to answer the question, hey, what the heck was going on back then? but to encourage Christians that Jesus is better than everything that came before. And with reference to us, Jesus is better than anything else the world can offer. And because Jesus is the Messiah, the prophet, the priest, and the king that we were all waiting for, then it is worthwhile to persevere and endure in our belief, even when times are tough. The book of Hebrews is deeply theological. There are points where you won't know the names or won't really understand what the author is talking about. But those are some of the really good parts. Because when you know the people, you know the concepts, and you understand the structure, it's all jazz. I'm going to give a big overview of the book of Hebrews, the easy listening and the difficult jazz, so that hopefully you can leave this podcast and go get into Hebrews for yourself. The book has a pretty simple outline. It starts off by talking about Jesus' better qualifications, then talks about his better ministry, and at the end, gives us a prolonged so what. If all of this theology is true, what are we supposed to do with it? Throughout the book, there's five warnings. These are times when the author slows down and just says, hey, let's make sure we understand the implications of this theology. I'll let you know when those come up. So without further ado, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. The author of Hebrews wastes no time at all getting right into their argument. There's no introduction, no, hey, how's it going, I hope everybody's okay, or even, I'm praying for you. Instead, the author jumps right into explaining the superiority of Jesus and why his covenant is greater than the old covenant. And he starts from the very beginning by talking about how Jesus is a greater prophet or a greater voice of the covenant than the prophets of the Old Testament. He says, We all know that God spoke through various people in various ways to us in the past, but now he's spoken to us through his Son. And this isn't just some other person. Chapter 1, verse 3, The Son is the radiance of his, God's glory, and the exact representation of his essence, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. Therefore, he is a better prophet than the old prophets. There's not much of an argument to be had there. Of course, the Son of God, the exact representation of his radiance, is going to be a better voice of God's word. But the words of God in the Old Testament weren't merely spoken by his prophets. God regularly sent his angels, powerful spiritual beings, as messengers to communicate with his people. The law was given through angels. How could it be that this new covenant, which was not given through angels, is greater than the old covenant? Well, the author says, that's pretty easy. Jesus isn't just a messenger of God, he's the Son of God. No angel was ever called Son by the Father. Only Jesus was. He has a higher name and a higher authority than any angel ever has. He's not just a better prophet. He's a better messenger of a better covenant. Then the author slows down and they get to their first warning. The first of five times 
that the author is going to say, all right, let's just pause on the theological argument and make sure we understand the implications of the theology that we're talking about. Chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we must pay closer attention to that which we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels proved to be so firm that every violation or disobedience received its just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If you agree that Jesus is a better prophet and a better messenger of a better covenant, then you need to pay attention to his message. The theology that we know is not meant to just make us smarter. It's not meant to make us better at Christian trivial pursuit. Theology is meant to change the way that we live. And if you believe that Jesus is the better messenger of a better covenant, then you better treat his words as if they are the better message of the better covenant. The author then moves on to talk about Moses, but before we go on, I just want to point out something that's really cool. The author is using Psalms as their primary source of theology. I just think it's really interesting that the songs that God's people sing were his primary source of theology. I'm just going to leave that there and let you do whatever you want with it and draw whatever conclusions you want about the state of our music today. Okay, moving on. The author of Hebrews spends the rest of chapter 2 talking about why it was important that Jesus was human. Chapter 1 has already established that he was fully God. Is it really that important that he's a weak human like us? Well, yes. In chapter 2, verse 10, it says that it was entirely appropriate that Jesus, for whom and through whom all things exist, was made exactly like us. As a result, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And he's actually able to defeat the one thing that's held power over us our whole lives, death. It goes on to say that he became a merciful and faithful priest to make an atonement for us. In other words, Jesus became human so that he could be a propitiation, a means of atonement for us. Now, Jesus' humanity may have seemed like one of those too much jazz theology ideas that just didn't make sense. But it's incredibly relevant and extremely encouraging. Think about this. Jesus became like you so that he could make atonement for you, and he's not ashamed of you. That's all wrapped up in that one theological idea. Oh my gosh, like, give me more of this. Let's keep going. The last person the author shows to express Jesus' qualifications is Moses. The man who brought down God's covenant from the mountain himself. This one also is not a super long argument. The author of Hebrews honors Moses and says he was a really good servant in God's house, but remember who Jesus is. He's the son, and a son of the house is always going to be better than a servant in the house, so Jesus is better than Moses. Case closed. But remember that Moses was a leader over God's people. Through Moses, God led his people out of slavery. Through Moses, God gave his people the first covenant, the law, and his people responded with disobedience. And so the author gives us his second warning. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart that forsakes the living God. But exhort one another each day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may become hardened by sin's deception. 
the Israelites were hardened towards God. When he led them to the promised land, they refused to go in because it looked dangerous. They didn't trust his provision. The author of Hebrews says we must make every effort to enter the rest that God has for us. And we do that together. Perseverance is a team sport. Yes, I persevere in my own faith. That's an individual thing. But I am called to meet with you to encourage you to persevere as well. In the words of High School Musical, we're all in this together. So, let's summarize Jesus' qualifications. Jesus is a better prophet and a better messenger of the better covenant. And he is the most qualified person to bring us this covenant. That's pretty good. But the value of Jesus is not just that he brought us the covenant. It's that he fulfilled the old covenant and established once and for all the new covenant. He has better qualifications to bring us the covenant, and he has a better ministry to enact that covenant. Before we move on, I know I'm just blazing through Hebrews, so let's take a quick, quiet moment with some smooth romantic jazz to give our brains a little bit of a rest. This is KCRA, Christianese Radio, all right. Okay, good break. Now back to our regularly scheduled content, Jesus as our better high priest. In chapter 2, we saw that Jesus was made like us in every way, that he was fully human. But the fact that Jesus is a priest means that he can actually serve us when we're in need. Chapter 5, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need it. Just think about that for a second. Jesus was made like us in every way. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He knows our problems, not just in an intellectual way, but experientially understands what it means to be tempted and to be weak. And he sympathizes with us. The Greek word for sympathize means literally to suffer alongside. So when we go to confess our sins to our priest, Jesus, we shouldn't be afraid of him. He knows what it means to be tempted, to struggle, to suffer. And he sits on a throne of grace and gives out mercy, not just sometimes when he's feeling nice, but anytime we need it. Jesus is our good and better high priest. That should change the way that you pray it should change how quickly you turn to God when you're in the midst of suffering. It should even change your view of suffering. So here's what you're probably seeing by now in the book of Hebrews. Dense and deep theology has an everyday practical effect on your life. Deep theology is not just for your pastor. It's not just for theologians in seminary. Theology is for you. God has revealed it to you in his word, which you have right in front of you. You've got it on your phone, in your pocket, at any given time of the day. But when we read those ideas, those concepts, the names that we don't understand, so often we tend to just 
move past them and willfully choose to continue to not understand them. Instead of growing deeper in our knowledge of Jesus, it seems that we are okay with stagnating, with staying just where we are. This is the very topic of the third warning in Hebrews. As the author is jumping into how Jesus is our eternal high priest, talking about a dude named Melchizedek, he stops and says, I wish I could tell you about this, but you've become sluggish of hearing. You become tired of learning. This stuff that I'm talking about, this is stuff for mature believers. You should be fluent in this stuff by now, but you're still learning your scales. Like the audience of this letter, we've been comfortable with not knowing the deeper things about God. And if that's the situation, Hebrews warns you against turning your back on God completely. It seems a little intense to equate complacency with apostasy. There really is no middle ground in our spiritual life, where you're either conforming to this present world or being transformed by the renewal of our minds. We're either absent-mindedly fitting into the mold of the people around us or actively becoming more like Jesus. The end of Hebrews 6 reminds us that our hope in Jesus is secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast, which reaches inside behind the curtain where Jesus, our forerunner, entered on our behalf. Our hope in Jesus is secure, and he's given us a path to go deeper. So, do you want to jump into the deep end? Let's talk about Jesus's eternal priesthood. Hebrews says that Jesus is an eternal priest in the order of Melchizedek, and you won't be faulted for not knowing what any of that means. Melchizedek is one of the most obscure characters in the Old Testament. He only shows up for a fraction of time in Genesis 14, and then is a little blip in Psalm 110. And the more you look at this guy, the deeper the rabbit hole goes. At the end of Genesis 14, Abram has just won a battle between seven kings on a field of tar pits, and he goes to this guy named Melchizedek, who is described as a king of Salem and a priest of the Most High. Now, there weren't priests of God at this point. This is generations before Levi. The father of the Levites was even born. But this guy Melchizedek is already a priest of God. Abram gives Melchizedek a tithe, Melchizedek blesses Abram, and that's it. Jump to Psalm 110, when God is talking about the Messiah, he looks at the Messiah and says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Wait a second. So not only was Melchizedek a priest of God, but he's a priest forever. Hebrews says that he has no beginning and no end. If you translate his name and title from Hebrew into English, it means King of Righteousness, King of Peace, Priest of the Most High. An eternal King of Peace, an eternal King of Righteousness, an eternal Priest of God. In Genesis 14, there are some people who say that Melchizedek is what's called a Christophany a pre-incarnate Jesus, the second person of the Trinity showing up in the Old Testament. 
Now Hebrews just says that Jesus is like Melchizedek, not Jesus is Melchizedek. So we don't know for sure if that is Jesus in Genesis 14. But we do know that if Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek, then he is greater than the order of the Levites. The Levites served faithfully under the Old Covenant, but they were restricted by their own sinfulness and mortality. Because Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek, he has the power of an indestructible life. More than that, Hebrews 7.26, he's holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and exalted above heaven. He has no need to do every day what those priests do, to offer sacrifices first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people since he did this in offering himself once and for all. For the law appoints high priests, men subjected to weakness, but the word of solemn affirmation that came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Jesus is our better priest. He's of a better order and did a better work, one that is completed once and for all. Chapter 8 talks about how Jesus served in a better covenant that under this new covenant, God would show mercy to his people and remember their sins no more. On top of that, Jesus serves us in a better temple. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that the earthly tabernacle and temples were just sketches and shadows of the heavenly temple. So when you saw the work of God's earthly priests in an earthly temple, making temporary sacrifices of bulls and goats, you were meant to see foreshadowing. You were meant to see what God was going to do through his Messiah, and Jesus did it. Hebrews 9.15, And so he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the internal inheritance he has promised, since he died to set them free from the violations committed under the first covenant. Jump to verse 24, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, the representation of the true sanctuary, but into heaven itself. And he appears now in God's presence for us. And he did not enter to offer himself again and again, the way a high priest enters the sanctuary year after year with blood that is not his own. But now he has appeared once and for all at the consummation of the ages to put away sin by his sacrifice. And just as people are appointed to die once and then face judgment, so also after Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly await him he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. He is our better priest who served in a better covenant, in a better temple, made a better sacrifice, and is going to return bringing us salvation once and for all. Now, you might be wondering what all of that has to do with your everyday life. Well, there's three more chapters in Hebrews that really lay it out for us. But instead of going through that, I'm going to pull a reading rainbow on you. You should check it out for yourself. Pull out your Bible app, get your Bible off the shelf, start at Hebrews 10:19, and let the Holy Spirit teach you what Jesus' person and work has to do with your everyday life. The book of Hebrews can be difficult to go through, but the thing is, it teaches us that the difficult passages in scripture, the part with the people we don't know, the ideas we don't understand, those aren't pitfalls. They're treasure troves. 
We need to get out of our Bible comfort zones and start seeing the fullness of what God has revealed to us. And when we do that, we're only going to find beautiful things. I'm going to end it with this, the final benediction of the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This has been a production of FathomMag.com. To find out more and read great articles, go to FathomMag.com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan Podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.